0: Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you all uh, today. As we continue to worship together, I invite you to turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. Uh, The book of Hebrews, chapter 12, where we've been uh, for the past couple months, um, and will continue to be through June as we finish out the uh, book of Hebrews. Uh, into the summer uh, as you turn there um, if you do have a Bible turn to Hebrews 12 if you don't have a Bible we have some in the back we'd love to give to you as a gift or the uh, words will be on the screen for you to to follow along as I read so let me pray as we uh, dive into God's Word this morning uh, Father God in heaven I thank you that you are a good and holy God gotta thank you that in Christ we are um, new creations we are a new people God that gives us joy gives us hope, gives us faith. Uh, Lord, I pray for our time together in your word. I pray that you would um, open ears to hear, open our minds to understand. And God, I pray that uh, you would open our hearts to receive uh, the good news of Christ this morning. Uh, So God, I pray that you would um, have your way with us, shape us to be more like Jesus uh, for your glory, for our joy and that the gospel would advance to the nations. We thank you in Christ's good and holy name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12. Sorry that it sounds like we're in outer space. Is it just me? The sound. Um, Hopefully it won't distract us. Well, you know, technology is an enemy of the gospel. I'm just kidding. Let's... uh. (laughs) Why don't we read uh, the Bible together and and may God uh, calm our distractions. Um, Hebrews 12, verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This is God's word. Friends, Jesus leads us to the mountain of grace where we experience eternal joy. And this is good news for us eternally, but also here and now. Have you ever been to the mountains? I mean, think about the last time maybe that you went to the mountains. Maybe you were driving somewhere and had to drive over the mountains or through the mountains. Maybe you went to the mountains on vacation to go skiing or camping. Think about the last time you saw a mountain in person. Maybe it was the Rockies or the Appalachians or the Smokies. Have you ever tried to hike to the top of a mountain? Hopefully you have. It's a great experience. In 2001, one of my favorite memories... I was a summer intern with a Christian ministry in Romania. We were running a camp for orphan children. And it was right in the middle of the region of Transylvania, uh, amongst the Carpathian Mountains. And so we worked at this camp all summer long. And we had to, you know, we flew into Budapest, Hungary, and took, a, uh, took buses and trains into Romania. And then we had to, like, drive from a city in Romania over the mountains, curves peaks with snow, all the way through to this little valley where this village was, right in the middle of the mountains. And we worked there for the summer running camps for orphaned children surrounded by beautiful mountains some of them were snow-capped some of them uh, had trees and just very beautiful well there was one mountain that was nearby we we drove from from the west northwest part over some mountains into this town but there were some mountains a little further east that were uh, didn't have snow on them but there was one particular mountain peak that had this clearing up top like some sort of field, and it looked really green and, and yellow. It had really vibrant colors amongst all these dark trees. And so, uh, there was a guy that I was working with named John. He was from North Carolina. He was an Eagle Scout. And one day he said, "Man, we should we should totally hike up to that clearing." Since so he was an Eagle Scout and had some experience about being in the wilderness, I said, sure, let's do it, man. So we packed our backpacks, loaded up with food and water and all the supplies we needed for the journey ahead. And we ventured out before sunrise. We walked you know, down a road to get to the base of the mountain, and we spent the day getting to the top. That motivated us to prepare for what we needed to do and to hike down this road, through this trail. And we saw a bear, which is what you don't want to see when you're in the middle of nowhere, Romania, thinking, there's a bear. Awesome. But it took us hours and hours, and we finally reached the top, and it was beautiful. I mean, it was the most beautiful sight. I had no idea. We, we came out of the dark trees into this clearing at the top of this mountain, and it had uh, f- all kind of flowers, just bright yellows and purples and blues, and there were these big rocks and stuff, and it was just really, really a neat place. It was cold. It was windy. And from the top of that, we could see down upon the village where our, our base camp was uh, for the summer, and you can actually see neighboring towns. And it was unbelievable view to the point that it made two grown men cry. I mean, we were just weeping with how beautiful it was and how great of a day it was. And, uh, you know, we got back down. It's one of my favorite memories uh, that I have and see these kind of memories stick with us. You know, and a mountaintop experience has become a phrase, an analogy to to signify something life-changing for you. Maybe you went to school, or maybe you went to a camp, or had a spiritual high where you were like, Man, it was a mountaintop experience for me. You see, mountains are important. I mean, metaphorically speaking, yes, but, but very physically speaking, mountains have always been important. In fact, when you look in the Bible... Mountains. There are, there are numerous mountains that are important and are the focal point of the stories of the Bible. We see in the Old Testament, the Mount, Mount Sinai was an important mountain where the law was given to Moses. You see that the Temple Mount in Jerusalem was a very uh, specific, important location for worship for God's people. We see that Herod himself built a mountain for his palace because he wanted to be the highest focal point politically in that region. If you look at any Any culture, especially in the first century, mountains are important. They are very important. And we see in today's passage the writer of Hebrews talks about Mount Zion. Mount Zion being the most important focal point in the Christian life. Mount Zion biblically refers to God's city, his eternal reign. And this is good news for us. So as we see here, the writer brings attention to the Old Testament story of God giving the law to Moses and the Israelites at Mount Sinai and and draws our attention to the focus of Mount Zion being the mountain of grace for God's people. And we see that it is Jesus that takes us from one mountain to another, that Jesus leads us from the mountains of, of fear and wrath to the mountain of grace. Look at verse verses 18 through 21 for me with me for you have not come to what may be touched a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them for they could not endure the order that was given If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stone. Indeed, it was so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I trembled with fear. The writer of Hebrews is contextualizing this story for us. We see that this is referring back to the story of Israel being led through the wilderness during the time of the Exodus. It's, it's a throwback to Exodus 19 and Deuteronomy 4 when God's people received the law from the Lord at Mount Sinai. And it was a terrifying experience. It's the point that Moses, God's chosen leader and prophet, was shaken with fear. And we see that the law was God's gift to his people to point God's people to grace. Often we sometimes juxtapose the law and grace to the point that we say we're all about grace, but let's let's throw out the law. But I want you to track with me in the story today that the law was to point us to a greater need for grace. That the law is like standing on one mountain looking to the mountain of grace in the distance saying, I'm here and I can't even function here. How can I get over there? That's where God's people were. God's people were out at Mount Sinai as God is giving them by his grace, giving them the law to say, this is who you are and how you are to live. And God's people said, we, we can't even take any more instruction. We can't even live like this. And we see the mountain of grace there. How can we get there if we can't even do this here? Here is the good news for you and I today is that Jesus leads us from there to here. Jesus takes us from the mountain of law to the mountain of grace. And this is such good news for you and I today. So what I want us to see is the writer of Hebrews um, contrasts the difference between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. I want us to see the good news that Jesus leads us to the mountain of grace for our eternal joy. So here's a few things I want us to look at today as we unpack this passage. Okay, first I want us to see that Jesus leads us from the dead wilderness to the city of the living God. Jesus takes us from the dead wilderness to the city of the living God. Verse 22 says, But you... That word but is so important there. Because he says, look, you know, the the God's people were, uh, you know, blazing fire, darkness, gloom, tempest. That just sounds horrible. But you... Right? But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. If you read the story of Exodus, you see that Israel wandered in the desert for decades. They experienced seasons of isolation, seasons of doubt, seasons of idolatry, seasons of sin, seasons of death and doubts and fears and questioning many were saying why are we doing this why are we going that way when we know where we just came from in egypt there was at least good food there was shelter so many people wanted to not move forward but wanted to move back but see the good news is jesus takes us from that dead wilderness into the city of the living god All of us here, if you were here today, undoubtedly you're here with some sort of motivation. You were here today saying, man, I have doubts and fears. I'm hoping coming to church will help answer those. I have questions. I'm hoping they will be answered today. I'm lonely. I'm hoping to meet somebody today. I'm skeptical. I'm hoping somebody will prove me wrong today. I'm hurting. I'm hoping I will get comfort today. All of us come into this room with some sort of hurt or baggage or fear or doubt or hope. Here's the good news is wherever you are, whatever season of deadness, whatever season of wilderness and isolation and questioning you are in, Jesus leads us from there to the city of the living God. See, apart from Christ, we are by nature wilderness wanderers. We are meandering around with our doubts and fears and questions, not knowing where we're going, saying that mountain looks good. Let me go there. Maybe you see a a metaphorical mountain of spiritual enlightenment. You say, if I can just get there, I'll feel better about myself. Or maybe you say, look, if I could just get this job, maybe my life will will feel more meaningful if I can have this relationship. No matter what it is, we are all wandering through a wilderness looking for some sort of meaning and fulfillment. And that road can be lonely. That road can be hard. That road can be anger-inducing. But the good news is that Jesus leads us from that dead wilderness into the city of the living God. That's the good news we see here. As we no longer wander in fear, in darkness, in gloom. We wander not alone, but we are led by Christ to the city of the living God, Mount Zion. This is why Paul says in Ephesians 2, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. He says again in Philippians 3.20, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So friends, no matter where you are in your journey of faith, In the wilderness, in the darkness, Jesus leads you from there to the city of the living God. And that is good news for us. Secondly, I want us to see that Jesus leads us from conflict to peace. Jesus leads us from conflict to peace. Again, in verse 22, you have come to Mount Zion. that's, That's God's eternal reign, right? You have come to Mount Zion, the mountain of grace, right? To the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the city of peace that's what it means Jerusalem is the city of peace and and the writer here says that Jesus leads us to an eternal city of peace to the heavenly Jerusalem so the good news is that you are citizens of God's kingdom you are citizens who have been ransomed by grace for grace that Jesus leads you into uh, the city of the living God and that city is an eternal city of peace What does that mean for you and I today? Because we we look at the city of Jerusalem biblically and historically. We see that the city of Jerusalem has been the focal point of conflict for centuries. I mean, there are are warring religions there today fighting over whose city it is. It's always been the case. And the irony is is not only in the Old Testament and for decades and centuries and even present day times. I mean, the, the name means city of peace. And historically, it looks anything but fighting, bombing, wars, right? Biblically, Jerusalem has been the focal point for God's people politically and religiously. It's been the place where the temple was for God's people to gather to worship their God who had rescued them. It had been um, the, the place where God's kingdom was going to go forth to the earth. And we look at it today and say, well, the Bible says that, that being led to the mountain of grace, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, how can that be a place of peace when Jerusalem on earth has been nothing but full of nothing but conflict? Right? And this is the good news for you and I today. is A heavenly Jerusalem is an eternal kingdom where God reigns and there is true peace forever. No conflict. No wars, no, no, no bombings, no fighting over whose territory it is, right? The good news is that the true city of peace is found only in Christ when God is reigning his people. See, the gospel is, is that Christ takes us to be citizens of this city of peace, and, and peace means a right relationship with God and a right relationship with others, and that's Good news. You can't get that anywhere else. You can't do that any other way. You you can't work your way into uh, that city. You can't make that city happen on earth. You can't do that on your own. No matter how good you are, no matter how nice you are, no matter how much you try to keep the peace with other people, that will never happen. It happens only when Jesus steps in and leads us to God's eternal reign. So I want to ask you, what does is, what is conflict look like in your life now? I mean, it, you don't have to go far to find some sense of tension in your life. Just just go to work and find the coworker that you don't get along with. Go to lunch today with a family member and say, man, that uncle rubs me the wrong way. Or, or maybe it's tension you have in your neighborhood or tension within this church or tension at school, whatever it may be. Conflict is a part of life, and it is not meant to be the norm. It is not the biblical norm to be in conflict. Personally, in families, in the, in the city, in the church, that is not the norm. We need to be rescued from our conflict and led to true peace with God and with others. And the good news is that happens when we follow Jesus because he takes us from conflicts to peace because we are citizens of his the city of the living god and his heavenly jerusalem thirdly i want us to see this is that jesus takes us from temporal fear to eternal joy right we see in verse 22 that it says mount zion is the city of the living god the heavenly jerusalem and to innumerable angels and festal gathering Sounds pretty wild, doesn't it? To think of what you're saying, like one day I'm going to be with Jesus, with angels, like celebrating. Like it's like banjo but with angels. It's like this huge music festival with awesome food and angels. Yes, that's what I'm saying. That's what, that's what it means. It means that, that there is something cosmic going on here. I mean, God's reign is far beyond this small church. It is far beyond our small lives. Our lives are important. We, You are important to the Lord. We are important to the Lord. But, but God's reign is so much bigger than Augusta, than the United States, than the earth. I mean, God's reign is a cosmic reign. And it is such that that eternally we will have our eyes open to see what in the universe God has done. Right? And, and that's what I want us to see here. I mean, this is this is amazing. What I want you to, to try to imagine being a first century Christian. Saying, okay, look, I'm struggling with, with cultural things. I mean, you know, the Greco-Roman world that had dozens of gods to worship, dozens of spiritual cultural practices. Maybe if you were in the first century, you had a Jewish background and your families uh, were, were multi-generational Jews that knew the Old Testament. And you're saying, well, wait, you know, I'm having all these cultural things with, with a you know pantheon of gods we have to worship here. And over here, I'm trying to uphold the law as my ancestors have done to honor the Lord. And you think, you know, Jerusalem is, is, the I mean, Mount Sinai is important. God gave us the law. Jerusalem's important. It's the city of peace that God has for his people. And then the writer of Hebrews says, you know what? The gospel is far beyond Sinai. It's far beyond Jerusalem. I mean, the gospel is that God is cosmically reigning. There are angels worshiping God. Do you get it? I mean, we, we don't think that way. If I say angels, some of you guys think Nicolas Cage or something, right from the movie. Or you think Constantine or something bizarre like that. Biblically, there are angels worshiping the Lord, and we will get to be a part of that eternally. And see, the beauty of it is that the gospel is that Jesus takes us from temporal fear to eternal cosmic joy. I mean, fear is based on circumstances. Joy is far beyond circumstances. Happiness may be circumstantial, but joy goes far beyond your circumstances. You look in the Bible and you see here in these verses that God's people were at Mount Sinai. I mean, just imagine. You you were like a third generation Israelite. You've known nothing but slavery. You've been enslaved in Egypt, oppressed, abused, abused. God does some crazy miracle, and all of a sudden you're set free. I mean, can you imagine being like, well, this is a whole new world for me. I've never known anything other than Egypt and being whipped to build pyramids and such. And then God sets you free and leads you to a mountain, right, where God delivers his law to Moses to give to the people. And there's clouds and thunder and darkness It would be utterly terrifying. Absolutely mind-blowingly terrifying. But God leads us out of our circumstances of slavery and oppression. God leads us out of our fears of trying to uphold the good law that He's given His people. God leads us from those temporal fears to an eternal joy. I mean, joy is an outward expression of worship forever with God's people and with the angels. You look in Revelation, and at the end of the Bible, you see that it's compared to a a marriage supper, a wedding feast. Biblical wedding feasts were not like a quick buffet line and then you dip out. Biblical wedding feasts were like week-long throw-down parties. All kind of food. All kind of wine. I mean, you would, you would eat and drink and then go sleep and then get up and continue the party. That's awesome. And this is what we have to look forward to. We no longer have fear because of uncertainty. We have joy because of certainty. We no longer fear. Well, well what's going to happen if I lose my job, or if my health fails, or if if I have to move to a different city? What happens? There's no longer fear in the gospel. There is joy, knowing that God leads us in Christ through those fears to eternal joy. You with me? I don't know where you are in your life or your faith. You may be here thinking I'm I'm in a season of misery, Jeremy. You have no idea what's going on in my life. You have no idea the hurt that I'm struggling with. Friends, all I can do is point you to Jesus and say, Jesus leads you out of your fear, out of your hurt, and leads you to eternal joy. And it's not something you are led to alone. You have people with you being led with you. I have fears I have hurts. I had fears and hurts emerge in a fresh way this week. I had to be reminded of the gospel that Jesus is leading me from my fears out of my fear to eternal joy. Because fear is temporal. It doesn't last. Joy is eternal. And that is good news. Okay. Fourthly, I want us to see this. Jesus leads us from wickedness. To righteousness. We see in verse 23 And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. All right, there's such good stuff here. Jesus leads us to righteousness from our wickedness. I I love the phrase there to the spirits of the righteous made perfect not to the righteous who are perfect or the righteous who made themselves perfect or the righteous who fake perfection eternally uh, the mountain of grace the eternal city of peace the city of the living God where there is an eternal cosmic joyful gathering is marked by people who have been made righteous You know, in Christ we are declared righteous. I mean, righteousness in the Bible, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, is a very broad term in some instances. It can mean, uh, you know, justified, like it's an identity marker that you have been declared righteous by Christ. But also it can refer to right living, like doing things right. You are righteous when you Buckle your seatbelt. That's a right thing to do. When, when you give to the poor, that's a righteous act. When you serve your neighbor, that's a right thing to do. It's, it's righteous. But a righteous act does not make you righteous in your identity. You were only declared righteous when Jesus steps in and says, You are my righteous person. When God says, you are my righteous child, you have been declared right, and now we have a right relationship, therefore you will live rightly. And so we see biblically <clears throat> that where God is leading us through Christ is to an eternal city of joy, a cosmic worship service, where people, the spirits of the righteous, made perfect, complete in Christ Christ. We no longer live out now in our wicked identity because we know that we are not being led into wickedness. We are being led into righteousness. So, So what does this mean for you and I today? You say, well, man, I still have sin. I still have struggles. I still mess up from time to time. At the end of the day, you are not marked by your wicked actions. You are not defined by the, the foolishness of your past or the mistakes of your past or even the mistakes of your present. You are to be defined by the future God has for you as a citizen of his eternal city of peace and joy where people, the spirits of the righteous made perfect dwell. That, that prompts how we live life now. If you are no longer defined by wickedness, you're not going to do wicked things. If you are defined by Christ's righteousness for you, you will do righteous things. You with me? We sometimes get the cart before the horse and say, well, if I can just do things right, then I will be rightly approved before the Lord. That's not biblical. What's biblical is Jesus saying, I declare you righteous before the Lord with that new righteous identity. Go do righteous things. You're with me. I, we can't mix that up. If we mix it up, then, you know, I quit because there's no pur- purpose. I'm not going to tell you to go do better and try harder. I want to tell you that apart from Christ, we're doomed. But Jesus declares you're righteous, no matter what your past looked like. You have a criminal history. You have some sort of, you know, wicked, all kind of stuff. It's cool. In Christ, you were declared righteous. You can't make up for the past. You can't do better. You can't try harder. You can't counterbalance and say, well, since I screwed up there, look how good I did here. I tried that for a few years. A little funny caveat for you. The first time I went to Romania was not prompted by the gospel. <gasps> See, I went to Romania in 2001, in 2000, 2001, 2002, 2006. I went a bunch of times. By God's grace, fueled by passion of the gospel, the first time I went to Romania was in 1999. And you want to know why? Because six months prior to that, I did some stupid, wicked stuff, and I thought that maybe I could pay God back and say, you know what? I'm not going to live like that anymore. So if I can just make up for lost time, I'll go serve a bunch of needy orphans in Romania. What a fool. <laughs> what a silly little child I was. And it took God leading me to the other side of the ocean to show me what grace really is. And I had a meltdown moment. Some of you guys were there. I just like fell apart. I was like, oh, he's hurting for the orphans. I was like, I'm hurting for myself. I was like on the, the bus. I was like, dude, we got to get on the bus and get out of here. We have a plane to catch. And I'm like, I can't. I'm coming undone. And everybody's like, oh, you know, this happens to every missionary. They connect with the orphans. They love them. That was part of it. But moreover, as I said, I looked at the plight of these orphans and thought, what a wretch I am. I mean, I am far worse than any of these orphans apart from Jesus. I need to be rescued. I had a moment where God's grace just dumped on me, walked away never the same never the same it was a moment for me and I guess when I realized that in that moment I can't try to do righteousness in my own strength to make up for my wicked past what I saw was God saying you can't do it but I love you anyway And in Christ, I'm declaring you righteous. You don't have to make up for your filth of the past. Man, I love you. I accept you. Jesus is perfect on your behalf. You were loved, accepted, valued. Now get up out of the dirt and live differently. That's what happened to me in 99. That's why I talk about Romania all the time. God did some amazing things in my heart. And He will in yours as well. And what I want us all to know... In Jesus, we are led from our wickedness to righteousness eternally. It's something Jesus does on our behalf. But the good news is we live differently here and now with that new hope and identity. Knowing that righteousness is there, we're getting led there. It's a guaranteed, sure destination. That changes everything for us. We're not doing things out of fear. Saying, well, i got to serve people so God will approve of me. No, 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 no. We're saying God approves of you. And because of the, he does serve people. Serve the poor. Be generous. Love your neighbor. Do these things because Jesus is leading you from wickedness into righteousness. You with me? Awesome. Here's a fifth thing we see. I'm wrapping it up. Hang with me. Jesus leads us from loneliness to intimacy with God. Verse 23 says it out there for us. The assembly, the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and... To God. That's a huge statement. Jesus leads us to God, the Father, the creator of the universe. You know how many cultures and individuals and people groups and religions and philosophies are trying to figure out how to get to God? I mean, that's everybody's motivation in one degree or another, is to get even atheists who are like, I don't believe in God. Well, actually, they have their system of wanting to get to whatever their God may be. You see, we all feel this separation and this loneliness from our Creator, and we all think, if I can. Do better, try harder, maybe I'll get closer to God. Or maybe if I can meditate on this or memorize this thing or live this certain way, maybe I'll find intimacy with God. I mean, here's the amazing thing about this story, is the writer of Hebrews is telling part of the story of the Exodus from, from the book of Exodus. And you look in Exodus 19 and Deuteronomy 4, and you see the story of God's people at Mount Sinai, so close to God but still isolated from him. I mean, do you see that? It says, you know, he says, you've not come to what, be, to what may be touched, a blazing fire, darkness, gloom, tempest, the sound of a trumpet, and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. You see, even being so close to God, apart from Christ's intervention, is so terrifying, so isolating, saying, I can't, I can, there's no way I can measure up. I can't, I can't be the best person ever. I can't be the best religious person ever because I blow it. But see, the good news is that Jesus leads us from loneliness to intimacy with God. You're no longer isolated by your sin. You're no longer isolated by your guilt or shame. You're not isolated by your fear. Of rejection or wrath. I mean it says this is and this is such a but we miss this because we're so just chill people. We miss the fact that the writer of Hebrews says to the assembly of the firstborn who were enrolled in heaven and to God the judge of all. That is a huge weighty title. God, the judge of all Every person ever, even cosmically angels, God, the judge, we are led to him. How is that possible? I mean, we often want to dismiss judgments. How dare to judge, live and let live. Biblically, God is a judge. He judges sin. He judges wickedness. He judges foolishness and he judges these things because he is wise and he is holy and he is right to do so but here is the good news god does not judge you when you're in christ he does not pour his wrath upon your sin because christ jesus takes that wrath for you Biblically, as part of the Hebrew worship, it, w- it would be that, that they would bring sacrifices before the Lord, that, that God's wrath would be upon that sacrifice. Right? We've talked about this from Leviticus, the Day of Atonement, when, when, when priests would bring a, a, an animal offering, and that was symbolic of, of God's wrath resting on that animal instead of on the people. The gospel is that Jesus Christ averted God's wrath for your sin and brokenness. When you look at the cross of Christ, Jesus dying for your sin. He is dying to set you free from sin, from brokenness. He is dying to take the wrath of God off of you. He, he took the wrath of God on himself. God, the judge of all, poured out his judgment of all onto Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, that's what's happening. You read those stories in the Gospels. You watch the Mel Gibson movie. Whatever it takes, when that happens, that is God pouring his wrath on Christ Jesus. The good news is that wrath is not on you anymore. God is not judging you and your sin if you are a Christian. If you are not a Christian, there is no hope. In Christ, there is hope. In Jesus alone, there is hope. In Jesus alone, you were led to God, the judge of all, but not in fear of judgment. Not an anticipation of judgment. You were led to intimacy with God as an adopted son and daughter. That's why it says the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. You see that? In Jesus, you were led to God the judge. Not in order to be judged. You were led to God as a firstborn child. As a child adopted. A child adopted by God through Christ Jesus, the true firstborn. And that gives us intimacy with God. I kind of segued into point number six. The final point is that Jesus leads us from judgment to forgiveness. Because verse 24 says, I just love it. (laughs) The spirit of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We see that Jesus' blood covers us, washes us. Therefore, when we are led to God, we are not isolated. We are intimate with God as adopted sons and daughters. And we are intimate with God, not in fear of judgment. And in forgiveness because the blood of Jesus frees us from judgment. And that is good news for us. And this plays out for us today. I want to ask you this. Do you carry judgment on your shoulders? Do you carry self-imposed judgment because you're ashamed of your past or your sin or your brokenness? Do you carry that weight of judgment thinking, I've messed up. Do you cast judgment on others because they mess up? In Christ, we love them. We forgive them. Because you and I in Christ are forgiven. So how do we do this? What's the difference between Mount Sinai, the mountain of the law, and Mount Zion, the mountain of grace? The difference is because of Jesus Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. We are led from the dead wilderness to the city of the living God. We are led from conflict to peace. We are led from temporal fear to eternal judgment. We are led, I'm sorry, to eternal joy. We are led from temporal fear. Ooh. We are led from temporal fear to eternal joy. We are led from wickedness to righteousness, from loneliness to intimacy with God, from judgment to forgiveness. And all of this is because Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. And that is such good news for us. So I want to challenge you. If you are here today and you are not a Christian, you are not a believer, and you are entangled in sin and loneliness and fear and doubt, I want you to know Jesus. I don't want you to do better and try harder. I want you to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who will lead you from there to here so that you will be an adopted son or daughter of God and experience true eternal joy. I do not want any of us, Christian or non-Christian, to think that in our strength we can ascend the hill of Mount Sinai and do this awesome biblical law stuff on our own. It is beautiful. It is in the Bible. I love the Old Testament. But the point of that is not for us to try to ascend that mountain in our own strength, but rather to see that perfection and say, wow, Jesus did that. He's somebody I can follow. We can't do this on our own. We can follow Jesus because he did it. And we can follow him to Mount Zion for eternal joy. I'll leave you with this beautiful poem that you may have heard before. Four lines to meditate on as we wrestle between sin and law and gospel says this. To run and work the law demands but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. Let me pray. Father God in heaven, I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you that you are a good, holy, and righteous God, that you are a gracious God in Christ who rescues your wayward people. Lord, I pray that you would give us joy to celebrate the gospel, that we would see our new identity as sons and daughters adopted by a loving Father, as citizens of the eternal city of the living God, a city of peace, a city of joy. God, I pray that you would order our steps now, that you would lead us to the mountain of grace, that we would experience great joy here and now, and that you would use us as ambassadors to spread this good news in our families, cities, neighborhoods, school, work, and out to the nations. We ask this in Jesus' good and holy name. Amen.